Okay, hey, we're in a, a series, week two of a series called The Burden is Light, um, and this is a post-COVID lockdown series, um, because that was everyone's favourite time of life, and uh, we thought what a, it would be good to um, do a little series about what does the burden is light look like after probably one of the most stressful times uh, in recent history for most folks, and, um, and we're trying to do this because we want to just uh, go, you know what, we want to follow the way of Jesus. Uh, last week we looked at um, uh, how we can move from living a life of comparison, uh, where we're constantly looking at our lives compared to others, and how we can live uh, to a pla- move to a place where we live from our identity in Christ, where we uh, have a confidence in our calling, and where we practice gratitude for the abundant blessings that we've been given. So that was, if you missed last week's sermon, you just got it in 10 seconds and you'll... <laughs> You dodged a bullet. Um, but we're looking at Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30, which is the text that we're basing this, um, this series from, which reads, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we uh, look at this passage, it's really helpful for us to um, understand how the Jewish community understood the Bible and how they interpreted the Bible um, at the time Jesus said these words. Uh, The ancient rabbis understood that the Bible is open-ended and has to be interpreted, um, and that the role of the rabbi in the community was to study and meditate and discuss and pray and make decisions about what it looked like to outwork the Torah, to outwork uh, the law that had been given from God. And it's really worth remembering, like, that was how they viewed the Bible, because uh, sometimes I think we have a naivety that says, oh, you know, it's really clear, and it's just obvious, and it's like, well, no, 2,000 years of church history, plus the fact that the rabbis did this, and there was different sects of Jews that had different views on certain things, would just indicate that actually the Bible's something we've got to really wrestle with. And we have to, you know, and, and it's, it's done in community together. And there's people uh, like rabbis or modern day pastors, I suppose, who spend a lot of time going, what does it look like to outwork this? And so, uh, for example, um, for the rabbis back in the day, um, the Sabbath was a big deal. And we're going to actually, in term four, for those that are in um, home churches or in bay groups and stuff, we're going to uh, focus on uh, the Sabbath for the term midweek. I'm really excited about that. But um, a, a rabbi would, would, would basically look at all these commands around what does it look like to obey the Sabbath, and they would come down with the list, basically, of like, here's the things that are permitted to, that you're allowed to do on the Sabbath, and here's the things that you're not allowed to do. And uh, every rabbi had a slightly different interpretation about what it looked like to fulfill the requirements of the law. So one rabbi might say you could walk so far on the Sabbath, uh, but if you went further, that would be work and you'd be violating the Sabbath. And, uh, and then another rabbi would have a different uh, set of rules. And uh, a rabbi's set of rules and lists, which was really that rabbi's interpretation of how to live the Torah, was called that rabbi's yoke. That was what the rabbi's yoke was. Uh, When you believed a certain rabbi, you followed him because you believed that 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 rabbi's set of interpretations were the closest to what God intended through the scriptures. And so when you followed that rabbi, you would take up that rabbi's yoke, set of interpretations about what it looked like to follow Yahweh faithfully. Uh, And so then Jesus comes along and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Uh, I've got, I think I've got a picture of a yoke. Um, so this is, uh, you know, back in the day, um, uh, there's a picture of me and Andy, but uh, we would, uh, like, so you would, uh, you'd stick this yoke on, so that yoke is the wooden thing, and that would, then you'd share the load together as you do the work. And so Jesus is saying, like, that my set of expectations about it, what it looks like to follow me is it's light. It's easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So beautiful. The important thing is it was still yoked to Jesus, and that there is still some expectations about what it looks like to follow him. Um, and so it's really important um, as we do this Burden is Light series that we're not trying to think about some idealized life where there's no pressure or stress anymore uh, in our lives. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that just be awesome if there was no pressure and stress on your life? Oh, honestly, one day there will be. One glorious day when he returns and like the world is right again. Goodbye stress. Goodbye pressure. Hallelujah. I can't wait. Until he returns, I'm sorry, folks. We have to live with a bit of pressure and with a bit of stress. And it's interesting how like the pressure and stress on our life falls into two categories mainly. The stress and pressure we've created, right? So it's like, oh, dear. I, when I was a 20-year-old, I went out and bought a, a, a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier on my credit card um, and then forgot about the credit card, you know? And I was like, yes, Mesa Boogie jewelry. That was so easy. Ding, ding. <laughs> this is awesome. And it's like, and then like a year later, when I start looking at reality and I start getting a few bills and I start getting a few reminders and, and I'm watching that kind of number grow, um, it's like it was stressful because I had no plan in terms of how to pay that off. Uh, and so that stress that I created, right, that's just sometimes we make choices that put ourselves in pressure and stress and, and, and Jesus wants to walk with you and, and by his Holy Spirit give you wisdom as you get a bit older about how to minimize the stress you create for yourself, right? So there's that whole side of things. But then there's just a ton of pressure and stress that you've got no control over. Welcome to life. Like COVID, right? <laughs> we had no control over that bad boy. And it's like, and church had to change, and your jobs had to change, all this stuff, zero control in terms of, uh, of, of that side of things. And uh, so we're living through this pandemic. We're living through the subsequent massive economic implications. And simultaneously, there's this deep revealing of, of the, the wounds and the reality of racism not only in America, but around the world, right? Right? So it's like, it's full on. Like, I'm on Twitter, which is dumb. Like, I don't know, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but it's like, why do I do this to myself? But I'm like, I'm on Twitter. It's like watching a, I don't know, it's just a sick, sick part of me that just gets drawn to it. And then I just get so burdened and sad and stressed and grumpy and angry. And it's like all of these things are just out there. Is anyone else feeling like that? Like, it's just, so it's not like you jump on stuff and it's just positive news, right? It's just always the worst stuff in the country on your front page. Interesting, eh? Like there's millions of beautiful things that happen every day and we just and it's like it's stress and it's pressure. And so without any other stuff happening, you just all of us are carrying it right now. And 
Uh, Jesus says the yoke is easy, the burden is light, not in some idealized version of life where there's no pressure and stress. That is not life. In spite of the pressure, in spite of the stress, in spite of all the demands of life, we can walk in the way of Jesus. That's a life characterized by love, joy, and peace. Like this is the time to learn this lesson. This is the reason we're doing this series And this is, you know, for me personally, God's really had his finger on my life and saying, I'm going to put you under a lot of stress and pressure and now walk. Now learn to walk with the burden light and the yoke easy. What does it look like to do that? Barry Ward, living legend, got to know him since he moved back from the UK and he chose Bay Vineyard as a church. Jackpot. Just so awesome. If you haven't met Barry, you're missing out. Godly man of God. Just awesome. And just had like really cool getting to know him and a little bit of his story. Um, And I've asked his permission, just in case you're worried, um, for once. Um, uh, He goes, moves to the UK a number of years ago. And he said to me that like, the thing that he learnt in the UK was to live in the rest of God. Just to live after uh, you know, years of running pretty hard and a lot of stress. And just to, li- to live in the rest of God. And I'm like, man, that's primo. And then it's like he's come back to Napier and he's um, one of the managers at Tremaine's and it's like, it's like this pressure cooker environment again. And he's like, and you know, the Lord's been saying to him, so now apply it in this environment. Because otherwise you do have to live in the hippie forest, right? You've got to, you know, and it's all like everything's sweet and I'm dancing with the hippies and there's no worries financially and there's no worries, man. You have to live in like the Garden of Eden or something to, to live this life. No, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of stress, we can definitely live in such a way that the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Uh, I tell you what is pastoring. I just I was cracking up about this as I was preparing my talk because I'm like, I just felt like God maybe have set it up like this. He's like, let's create a job with the most spiritual pressure, relational pressure, financial pressure, leadership pressure, time pressure, volunteer pressure, fundraising pressure, management pressure, staff pressure, structure pressure, theological pressure that we can possibly create and then invite them to lead the charge on life in all of its fullness. How about we do that? That sounds really good. You know, the average pastor lasts six years in ministry. And that's up from uh, 15 years ago where it was 3.6 years. I've been 17, hallelujah. (laughs) Come on, come on. And I've hung in there just. (laughs) I'm still here (laughs) preaching the burden is light (laughs) with a giant plank out my eye. But here we go. We come and we learn of Jesus, otherwise the church and the followers of Jesus will actually be marked by burnout, burden, and compromise. And Jesus is not glorified when we're burdened, when we're burnt out, and we're compromised. Jesus is not glorified when I live like that. Now, I'm early in learning this, to be really honest, but it's like this is, uh, Jesus invites us to live wisely, to live well. And we learn to do that, as I've said many times, not just by learning and applying his teaching, which is hugely important, but by also imitating his lifestyle. That's how we walk in. Uh, Dallas Willard said, you know, um, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he says, Jesus as the way is the most neglected metaphor in the American church, right? He's the way, he's, he's the truth and the life, absolutely, but he's also the way. We learn to walk his way, and as we do that, we walk into life. 
And so when we choose Jesus, we are saying, not only do I want to believe and apply your teachings, I want my life to be formed around your example. And, and the reality is that everyone's life is getting formed in some way, shape, or form. It's whether it is around the person of Jesus or whether it is around the expectations and the culture of our secular world. And, and, and there's also, like you're, we are swimming in a culture that says this is what normal life looks like in terms of its pace, in terms of how we escape the pace, you know, and all sorts of other things, you know, in terms of like just, and we see people's souls getting crushed, right? If you take a step back, it's like people are suffering. Their souls, their inner life is just, is broken. And often like we look at our lives and go, and I'm the same. But Jesus is like, follow me. Follow me. In Matthew 7, he says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, Jesus says this in the context of the Sermon of the Mount. So the context of that statement is not about what happens when you die. Right? We read all the time Jesus saying things about judgment when we stand before him and about destruction and about life. The whole context of the Sermon on the Mount is how we live now, about human flourishing now, right? And so it's very easy. I mean, come on, I'm, gonna, I'm surely I'm going to get some amens on this. It's like it's so easy to go in that wide road where you just slide and you just get a bit crushed, right? It's just the default. It's like the slope leans that way. And yet there is a way that leads to life. And I say that because you have to contend for it. You have to contend for it. And now this is tricky, especially at, when we're at a really low ebb, right? When I've, I've, I've had mild depression things I've had to work through that's in my family line of fought hard against that. And I know what it's like when you feel like you've got no energy and yet you've got to contend to choose life. You've got to contend to choose life. But then we're not on our own. The Holy Spirit is with us. That's why it's good coming to church this morning. The Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in that way of life that leads to life. Okay, so we want to keep choosing it. We want to learn it. Jesus says in this passage, learn of me. Like we learn from Jesus. And, uh, and, and then we look at, uh, at this. So I want to look at a number of ways that um, we can grow in the sense of living a, a lifestyle that's where we can genuinely say with integrity, the burden is light. Yoke is easy, the burden is light. Um, and I want to look at how Jesus models a life where rest is stronger than exhaustion, where peace is greater than angst, where solitude serves relationships, and where a rich devotional life leads to ministry. So those are what we're going to look at today. Now, uh, next slide, Ian, please. Um, the the uh, important thing, just again for the record here, is that um, hashtag hypocrite in transition. Hash, that's me, by the way, out there in the green uh, top. Plank eye, hashtag determined to get there. Hashtag let's get back on the wagon. Hashtag thank God for his grace. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning this. I'm learning this. I'm, I'm not here as your Yoda going, imitate my lifestyle. Imitate me as I come up to communion every week and say, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. I'm going to get back on the wagon. Don't, I'm, I'm on a journey here. Uh, but I have tasted enough to go, oh, man, this, I think this is the abundant life that Jesus promised. Oh, I want all my friends to know. And so, um, and, and, and you know, all of this, all of this stuff I'm going to talk about, the why, why do we do it? It's so that we can live a life of love. 
The only way to live a life of love is to imitate Jesus' way. And the more you choose these things, the more you'll have the capacity to love selflessly. To love selflessly. So let's, have, let's unpack uh, these four different points. Firstly, rest must be stronger than exhaustion. We've got a little cat called Happy. Uh, as you would have seen um, uh, over lockdown, we got Jen. <laughs> Jen just did it. Good on her, because I'm not a great animal lover. Like, there's a lot of work the Lord needs to do on this hard heart. And so, like, I'm just not that phased about animals, really. But I've actually, is she here? No, she's out in vape. Yes. I've actually, I've actually grown to really like the cat. I'm really actually enjoying Little Happy. And I tell you what, like, cats, their lifestyle, eh? Their lifestyle is so sweet. Like, it's just the ultimate. I'm like, God, you created this just to, and because they're not going to get addicted to social media or screens. So you've created this animal that shows me what life could be like. And pretty much Happy's life is that. And like, when cats really fall asleep, I don't know about your cat, but our cat, anyway, it's like that. It's legs out. It's like total, he's totally trusting in his environment that he's safe to be vulnerable as he rests. There's a whole sermon in that, right? But it's like he's all eggs everywhere and just totally chilled by the fire or whatever. And it's like, I just look at it and we just start cracking up. We're like, come on, you can look happy sleeping. And then it's like, after I'm happy, he's like, all right, then what should we do now? Let's go play outside. So he's like chasing around the kids and up the trees and he's there. And it's like, and then he's a little bit tuckered out and a bit of food. And I'm like, what an amazing lifestyle. Like, just, I think Jesus wants us to be more like the cats at sometimes. Exodus 33 verse 14 says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is his promise to Moses as he leads the Israelites out of slavery. We live in a culture of exhaustion. And if you do not learn of Jesus, the default will not be rest. If you don't follow the way of Jesus, the default will not be rest in our culture. It'll be go. It'll, be, it'll lead you to exhaustion. And John Tyson, who uh, the book that we're basing this off, uh, um, uh, some, of the, some of the talks, not this one actually, but in a talk that, that it was not in this book, but he said this, he's, I love this, a rested spirit is spiritual warfare in a culture of exhaustion. Oh, how grunty is that? That's grunty, man. A rested spirit is spiritual warfare in a culture of exhaustion. Can you imagine, I'm just trying to imagine, if someone came up to me and were like, how are you doing, Sam? And I'm like, you know, if there's one word that would describe my life right now, it's margin. I've just got margin in my life. I've got space. I've got life. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling good. How are you doing? And so, well, how did you get there? Oh, I've got the secret source. I've got secret wisdom. I've got the living water that's leading me into this place of incredible life. I've got a restful spirit. Why? I follow Jesus. This is one of the things that happens if you follow Jesus. Really? Yeah, if you follow Jesus, he brings rest. Interesting, eh? Hey? I'm like, no, I can't say that with integrity. <laughs> But man, I'm tracking in that direction. There'll be a day, one glorious day, when someone does ask me, and I will be able to say genuinely, oh man, I'm feeling good. I'm rested in my soul. Dallas Willard was asked, if there was one word that you would use to describe Jesus, what would it be? And you know, his answer was really interesting. He said, relaxed. Relaxed. His one word to describe Jesus. Now, because we jumped to all the Sunday school answers, right? But it's like, 
I've thought about that heaps. I'm like, if we bumped into Jesus, he would have time for us. He would engage deeply with, like, really engage with us. He wouldn't look distracted or want to rush off. And guys, he was the saviour of the world. I don't know what sort of expectations and pressure is on your plate at work, but Jesus had a little bit more, quite frankly, in terms of what, what was up here in terms of his role on planet Earth. It's like he was relaxed. Get this, for the first 30 years of his life, he didn't do anything in terms of ministry output. One or two little moments where he, he does, we can see some stuff recorded, but he ticked along with life. And not the life that we live here, the, live, the life, you know, 2,000 years ago, very simple life. Jesus walked everywhere. I, I watched this lovely documentary um, based from some stuff from Eugene Peterson uh, called God's Speed, the three-mile-an-hour God, because people walk at a pace of three miles an hour. It's about four kilometers an hour. So, like, even when Jesus was, like, some nerdy scholars have done the maths on how busy Jesus was. And in terms of the stuff recorded in the Gospels, there's about three months of activity over three years. Now there's bound, of course, there's other stuff that's not recorded in the Gospels. But even like he had like a you know, big ministry moment in a village or whatever. And then he's like, okay, it's time to go to the next one. It's at this pace for a couple of days. Like, you know when you go for a tramp, you know, and it's like a couple of days of walking with no, again, no social media, and uh, there's a theme coming through here, and um, <laughs> you just you disconnect from the matrix and you go for a, go walk about. How good it is for your soul. That was a working day for Jesus. That wasn't even a Sabbath day. <laughs> Crazy man. So how do we how do we live a life of rest, man? Like. Um, well, there's a bunch of things. Sabbath, rest is, I'm going to keep going there. Sabbath, rest is like one of the big things. I've pre- I'm not going to preach Sabbath today. I've preached about it before. Please cycle back and listen to that if you want to talk on it. And there's stacks of stuff I can give you. And as I say, all of term four in our home churches and small groups, we're going to look at Sabbath rest. And trust me, I've been chipping away at trying to live this for like probably 12 years or so. And it's like, I'm just starting to get my head around it. It's not, people think rest is easy, particularly things like Sabbath rest. It's, it's, it's tricky, but so worth making the effort, as Hebrews says, make every effort into, into, into the rest of God. But, um, so that's one thing. But he, um, John Tyson, in this amazing talk, um, he talked about how we often rest based on some stuff that he, um, uh, do you want to bring that next slide up again for me? Um, based about how we, um, how we often, how we often recover. Um, and often we, we normally just rest when the battery is just about empty, right? So we just do, a, we have a little bit of rest. And now Jesus, life to the full, right? So Jesus came to give us life to the full. The enemy comes to kill and destroy. And Jesus' life to the full, just to be clear, was not some sort of health and wealth prosperity gospel. Should be rightly challenged. It's evil. But where Jesus did uh, bring, want to bring prosperity is prosperity uh, of your soul, 
He has come to give you prosperity of your soul. It's the prosperity of relationships around you. It's the prosperity of a worldview that sees life as an incredible gift in every part of nature as a reflection of God's glory. That's life to the fulls where you feel like your cup's overflowing, even under pressure, even under stress, even under disappointment or whatever it may be. So that's the sort of life to the full I'm convinced that Jesus wants for every single person. Like it's a flourishing soul. Like that's totally what he's all about. But, but when we rest, it's normally, we only we rest when we're almost done. And often it's like, if I can just grind it out to the next school holidays, if I can just grind it out, you know, I'm mentally a little bit like, if I can just get through to Christmas, <laughs> it's a little while away, but okay, you know, because then we stop church and we can real this and go, just grind it out. And, uh, and the danger is that often we're like, I'm just, I'm under some pressure right now and stuff, but it's just a season. And then things will chill out. And the, the danger is that that season becomes a lifestyle. There, absolutely, there are seasons where you've got to dig deep. Like when you're, um, I don't know, I'm glad and trained to be a doctor, but like Andrew Gurman, there were times he had to like go hard when you're doing residencies and stuff. It's like you've got to do some massive hours. There's certain roles where it's like there's certain seasons. Like when you've got a newborn, God bless you, McKinley's, it's like, you know, it's just intense there for a bit. Sleep deprivation is just part of the deal. Unless you get a real good good sleeper. Have you had a good sleeper? No. Okay, thank you, Lord. Because we had no good sleepers, and I'd, I'd really struggle with comparison in a, uh, if I had to go through that. But, uh, you know, and I say sleep deprivation, is part, but, there's, but the thing is they're not meant to be lifestyle. They're, they're meant to be the rare exception to the rule. And the danger is that we just go, it's just a season, it's just a season, and before you know it, it's lifestyle. And our souls are getting more and more crushed, and that's when things start getting tricky. Because your soul will want to escape. And that's why we see people make very silly decisions around escaping the pain of a crushed soul that's been running too hard, too fast for too long, and it's just the, the effects are devastating. The effects are devastating, but it's an escape. So, uh, so this is what happens. So then we, we fill the tank a little bit. Next slide. And it's like, we normally recover, but we're not living the life to the full. And what is it, next slide, what is it, what do we miss out on when we don't really rest well? We miss out on joy, peace, intimacy, stability, calling, kindness, wonder, uh, and we, we, we miss out living a life of sacrificial love. So again, the invitation to rest is not just to rest so that you can keep plowing ahead, it's to rest so that there's an overflow in your life. And this is why Sabbath's really important. Uh, but this rest must be, be greater than exhaustion. And, uh, and, and again, next slide. Just a gentle reminder. Uh, this is from a tweet. That, uh, that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad I want to die. And God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? And so Elijah slept uh, and ate and decided that things weren't so bad. I love this. Never underestimate the power, the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Everyone... Get your heads around this. So I'm going to talk as I finish about what, what stops us from walking into this. But a big part of it is that we can feel guilty because our culture says you've got to keep going because that's how, that's how you get your value. You know what that's exactly the same as? The Israelites under Pharaoh's leadership, where your, your worth is in how many bricks you make, your productivity. And when we get freed from that and say, Pharaoh, screw you, and that's saying it nicely, but I am not under your leadership anymore. I'm under the leadership of Jesus, and he demands that I rest. Hallelujah, I'm taking a nap, right? 
or my to-do list isn't going to get done, or I may miss out on that promotion, but oh, my soul is flourishing, baby, yeah, because it's more precious. It's more precious. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing, so first one is rest must be greater in exhaustion. You have permission, let me speak prophetically on behalf of God. I really do this. You can chill out. Slow down, take a nap, do less in Jesus' name. All right, secondly, cultivate peace greater than angst. Oh man, we live in a world of full-blown angst. Um, interestingly, that people who wouldn't normally have the courage to have a decent dialogue in person go full throttle online, right? Uh, we've got so many opinions out there that we will be exposed to, and some of them will rip us apart because they are straight offensive, racist, filled with anger and hate, and you get exposed to this stuff regularly these days. Um, we've got elections coming up. <laughs> Yay! Oh, well, this is going to be such a joyous time online. Oh, I can't wait. You know, like, how every year it's like, oh, there's a new low in just the rhetoric of the politi- of online behaviour. And, and every year you think you can't go any lower. And it's like, oh, man. I actually want to do a talk before we go into um, this election cycle on how we communicate with civility in our communication about election issues as followers of Jesus. Civility, what a word. We need to relearn what it looks like to have civil dialogue. Anyway, but what does it look like to cultivate peace in the midst of a world of angst? You know, when Jesus breathed upon his disciples and parted the Holy Spirit and gave them his peace, it wasn't in the midst of a holiday. It wasn't at a resort at a time of relaxed vibes going on. It was after they had witnessed his execution and it was when they were in fear of the religious and political institutions that were going to hunt them down and do the same to them. That's when Jesus came and says, you can have my peace. Like they aren't great circumstances, eh? Let's be, you know, I don't know about, again, what you're going through right now, but I don't think many of you are facing impending execution. No? Okay, good. And so that sort of stress must be full on. These disciples were in that sort of fearful place. And get this, they could walk in the peace of God even with that hanging over them. And they did. And they did. Jesus, who embodied a life of peace, had religious groups spreading lies about him. He had people challenging him constantly. He was surrounded by huge pastoral needs, physical needs, constantly. And he lived in peace. He 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 was the prince of peace. We can learn to walk in peace. And I've been like fighting for this with COVID stuff and all sorts of other challenges in my life. It's like I can still choose to walk in peace and it's like a rebellion. It's like I'm rebelling against the powers that would want me to come under anger and stress and and fear and anxiety and angst and all that stuff. And it's like, no, I can choose the way of Jesus still. I can still choose to sit in his peace. I can still choose joy. I can choose it. It's, uh, it's incredibly helpful. Um, Trillia Newbell wrote this the other day. She said, if all you do is feed yourself news, news radio, social media, blogs, etc., you will shrivel and die. It will be a slow death. Slowly affections change. Slowly disregarding the things of God. Abide in Jesus. We can't do this without him. He is the bread of life. He is divine. I think we, we want to continue having the conversation about how we, um, how we, just, we manage all this stuff. Like we really want to, I think part of, in this day and age, part of being a follower of Jesus is wrestling with 
when I choose to engage with it rather than letting the dopamines dictate the fact I need to go back there because <laughs> I've been conditioned by some very clever people in Silicon Valley to keep going back, right? So I'm like, how, what does it look like for me to get in control rather than to relinquish control and to choose when I engage with stuff and then to choose when I don't? And I reckon I'm going to buy a dumb phone. I just, I think I'm not self-controlled enough. Oh, I shouldn't say this publicly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a huge amount of pain expressed. Is <laughs> my precious, my precious. <laughs> don't. <laughs> But Sam, we don't want it. We go, that's so precious. But we can live free without it. My precious. Oh, I'm enjoying preaching to a group of people again. <laughs> All right, that'll do. That'll do. I'll finish with this. Invite Jesus to say, invite Jesus to, to shape and. I'm not telling you how to do it, that's what Pharisees do. I'm trying to paint a picture of what life can be like and then entrusting you have the spiritual maturity to ask Jesus, what does it look like in your circumstances? Okay, solitude and relationships is this. So the first thing, exhaustion, rest and exhaustion. Uh, the second thing is, uh, is peace and anxiety or angst. Secondly, solitude and relationships. That's a probably, that's not an actual picture of Jesus, but this is what Jesus did all the time. All the time, I love it. That little dot is him in a lonely place. And often I reckon I've looked at Jesus withdrawing to lonely places and thought that's some really tough spiritual discipline that mustn't have been that much fun, right? It's like, oh, you know, silence and solitude, boring. But, you know, Jesus is boring. So, and I'm like, then when you actually get a bit older and as your introverted side starts going, feed me, feed me, feed me, it's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus went and relaxed in places of silence and solitude. And he, again, saviour of the world with, with thousands of people that wanted to hang out with him, with needy disciples, with, uh, with his top three guys and all the rest of it, all of that stuff going on. And he would just disappoint the crowds and go and, to lonely places and relax and disengage. In Luke 5.16, we read, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, Jesus is beautiful. When Jesus ministered on earth, he was fully God and fully human. Interestingly, he operated out of full human limitations relationally. We see this in how he, how he lived. Jesus wasn't everyone's best friend. Jesus couldn't be everyone's best friend. That is why the theology and the act of the ascension, when Jesus returned to that heavenly realm, is stunning because it means we can all be his best friend now. Hallelujah. Right? But when he was on earth, he operated within the limits that any human relationship had, any human being has. So within his 12 disciples, he had three best friends that he was especially close to and especially invested in. And then he had the 12. Now, for the rest of the nine that weren't in that top three, right, there's some stuff you've got to work through probably, and Jesus would have got those vibes. Oh, I'd love to be the one with my head on your chest, Jesus. But Jesus couldn't be, he couldn't have that sort of relationship with all of the 12, and then when, uh, with the 12, it's the same with the 72. There's a point where he sends out 72 to do ministry. And again, those 72 would have loved to have been in the 12, let alone the three. And so Jesus would have got those vibes. Oh, Jesus, maybe I could get a promotion to the, could we make it 13, mate? I heard one of the guys looks a bit dodgy, you know. <laughs> Rhymes with, you know, Huda, you know, Huda. So like, you know, um, and he operated within these limitations. Get this, Jesus disappointed people. 
How full on's that? Get your head around that. This is again why we love the ascension. But in terms of relational expectation, he couldn't meet every relational need. Villagers would plead with him, please stay, please stay. I need to move on. Disappointment. And then he walks slowly and just continues to minister. Like this is full on, eh? But the problem is, the, the, the problem is, oh, so let's just jump away. Mark 6, verse 31, he said to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. It's incredible. So like in the space, he, he's like, he's tending to the emotional and relational tank that every human being has. And so this is for me as a pastor, a big one I'm, I'm still trying to learn, uh, is, is I've, got to, I've got to respect the limitations that God has given me relationally. It's not easy, but I, I need to respect it, and so do you. And so here's the dance in terms of how to live a flourishing life. It's both withdrawal and it's engagement. Too far either side where we live in either camp will kill us. And so for the more introverted, you, uh, you're like, hey, man, preach it. I mean, you're not saying that because you're introverted, but I'm getting, the, I'm getting the nods and the affirming vibes. But for the more introverted people, it's like uh, the danger is that you isolate yourself. And like, honestly, the research around mental health and isolation is really clear, the link, just clear as day. Like living with that. Now, more introverted people will have to make that choice. I choose to go to home church this week. Everything in me is really comfy and loving the space, but I choose to, and, and, and for introverts, you know exactly what I mean. You walk into that space, and it's a bit tricky for the first little bit as you change gears and, and warm up this, the conversational engine that's been dormant for a little while and just and all that. And then it's like, oh, yes, and you get encouraged. Someone prays for you. You have a deep and meaningful that, that does fill your tank in some way. And for the extroverts, it's like, guys, t- time alone is so important for your soul like because you will burn out if you just keep thinking the only way I fill my tank is by hanging out with lots of people all the time and there's no margin for you. The, the, the Jesus modeled the beautiful both end. And so again, I'm not Pharisee saying this is what you must do. I think for most of us, it's leaning to having a bit more margin and space to process and just to be without a device and without all that sort of stuff. Uh, but, but for some people, it may be the other. But again, Holy Spirit lead us into life. Help me make decisions around what that looks like. Okay, lastly, private, is it lastly? Yes, it is. Private devotional life that flows into ministry. Oh, sorry, sorry, um, the last thing is that because Jesus had this inner world, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. If we don't don't deal with this, then we will see the crowds and want to run. (laughs) Or there will just be no inner reserves to, to bring love to other people. And love isn't about what it does for you. Love is selfless, right? Love is about how we can bless and serve other people. That's the way of Jesus. So that's why this is important. All right, moving on. Lastly, a private devotional life that flows into a life of ministry. Jesus had a very limited window of time to be on earth, and he, so he knew he's got to use every little minute wisely, and he could have spent all of that time just cranking the ministry side of things. There was a huge demand for it. But as I've already pointed out in the Gospels, we often see that he sent the crowds away so that he could pray. Jesus often withdrew to those lonely places. His ongoing intimate relationship with his Father was the source of his compassion, his wisdom, and his power that we see on every page of the Gospels. John 15, verse 4, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, 
I've talked about this a lot, and we're going to keep getting the pom-poms out. Let's build a devotional life. Let's build And next term, our home church stuff is all going to be about building a stronger devotional life. That's been a journey that we've all been on as a church. We've got our up a click, not upper click, up a click uh, group that meets every Thursday morning. A bunch of boys who are committed to growing their devotional life over the last two years. One of the greatest privileges of my life as a pastor has to be journey with these guys who have gone from fairly shaky, and that's been generous, uh, devotional lives, uh, to to consistent, consistent, and and not perfect, and, and some weeks are off the wagon and stuff, but consistent growth and forming a, a, a private world with Jesus. It's it's where the enemy has fought tooth and nail, and 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 the future of the church is going to be dictated to whether people my age and younger who have grown up with this world can withdraw to lonely places and cultivate a private world with Jesus. We have lost the art of a quiet time, and it's time we bang on about it and restore it, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep on doing this. Um, Listen to this from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one, this is Jesus' life, and this is the life he invites us into. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, uh, this line here, or sit in the company of mockers. Easy to mock the church, to mock pastors, to mock all sorts of things when you're not connected deep with the vine. That's where you start going, right? But whose delight, whose delight, whose delight is the law of the Lord, that's the word of God, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So um, again, I just want to encourage you to, to... if you've fallen, again, this is, a, this is like a cultural statement for us now. If you've fallen off the wagon with your devotional life, this Sunday say, I'm back on the wagon. Like, why is it such a big deal for us to get back on the wagon, eh? It's weird. Just let's make the decision in the light of his grace and mercy that we, you know, it's just like, I want you more. Sorry for, you know, I want you more. So I'm back on the wagon this afternoon. I'm getting back into the Bible in the year. I'm going I'm to listen to that thing, whatever. And again, we're going to work through all of this stuff um, as we, uh, Wolzer, okay. <clears throat> Thank, oh Lord, I pray the movie's still going. All right. <laughs> Lastly, just a couple of points. I knew it was going to be a longer talk and I desperately didn't want it to be. Here we go. This is what we need to deal with if we want to walk into this life. Number one, we need to deal with guilt. We need to deal with the, we need to detox from swimming in the culture that worships productivity, significance, and busyness. We need to deal with guilt when it comes to rest, when it comes to peace, when it comes to devotional life. It's a waste of time with Jesus. That's what a great devotional life looks like. Wasting time with Jesus is magic. It's, well, it's the wrong word, but it's brilliant. It's blessed. It's holy, whatever. Uh, and again, I, I really have wrestled with this. It's like, oh man, like, I'm just reading my Bible and sitting silently with Jesus, and this is really unproductive. I hope my parish or my congregation, I hope they don't see me being so unproductive. I should be doing admin or preparing talks or pastoring or, you know, and it's like, it's ridiculous, right? Of course you want your pastor hanging out with Jesus, but it's this guilt I have to work through, and it's the same for everyone. Because again, we swim in a culture that worships the productivity, the business, the significance, that sort of stuff. So the way that I'm dealing with the guilt is like, Jesus has told me. Jesus, take it up with him, mate. Jesus told me. Like, when I start thinking like that, it's like, I'm not, how about we start feeling guilty for rushing too fast? Maybe, like, again, it's fascinating that when it comes to, like, Sabbath, which is in the Ten Commandments, every other, every other commandment, if someone broke that, would be a big deal, right? Murder, adultery, 
right? Bowing down to other idols, whatever. It'd be like, that's, well, you shouldn't be in leadership if you're doing that. Work seven days a week. You're committed. You're so committed to the church. It's awesome, amazing. It's like, no, this is crazy. The Sabbath is when we declare that God is sovereign and we are not. So certainly for my Reformed friends that lean a little bit more that way, that should be the ultimate day of declaration that God is sovereign. Anyway, so we've got to deal with the guilt. The second thing is we've got to deal with our pride. <laughs> our pride says I'm so important. Our pride says like life would fall over without me doing this. Pride says I need to stew on this broken relationship or I need to stew on this dysfunctional thing because if I don't, then it, I don't know, Right? I don't know. I mean, it's illogical, but I've got to. I've got to stew on it. It's appropriate. I stew on this thing. It's like, what if we don't stew and we just feel peace and joy and love instead? Holy Spirit, fill me with that. I want your fruit of your spirit right now. I don't want to come under all this other rubbish. So we're going to often deal with our pride because we think we're way more important than we really are. Right? We think we're way more important than we really are. Lastly, we've got to deal with disappointing others. The feeling of disappointing others. If you want to live the way of Jesus, you're going to have to get used to the feeling of disappointing others. Your boss, your parents' expectations, I don't know, your culture in your workplace, I don't know what it is. You're going to have to deal with the feeling of disappointing others to walk the way of Jesus. That's why it's a narrow road. That's why it's a narrow road. It's not easy to do that. There's a favorite theme of C.S. Lewis, is this Eugene Peterson quoting him, he says, uh, it was a favorite theme of C.S. Lewis that only lazy people work hard. <laughs> How hard is that? Now, this is, this is a jarring quote. And again, this, this kicks me in the ghoulie so hard. So like, don't feel like I'm saying this from a place of like superiority. But listen to this line, though. By lazily abdicating the essential work of deciding and directing, establishing values and setting goals, other people do it for us. Right? So instead of being lazy, it's like, here's what my priorities are. And like for me, like as a pastor, I'm like, I want my priority, particularly after a very tricky year, the priority for me as I, as I go for the rest of the year is to tend to my soul. So that means we're not doing any new initiatives in this church. We're doing the basics till Christmas. The goal that we have as a leadership team is to feel really good as we finish. So that we go into a holiday where that tank can get real filled up to life and all the full, Right. So that's the priority. So that means I'm going to disappoint people in this church in terms of like how available I am or how many things I can do or go to or all that sort of stuff. Do I like that feeling? I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It's just a constant battle. But I'm like, Jesus, this is why devotional life is important. Jesus, I need to sit with you. Remind me. Remind me what the priorities are. And it's the same. Again, I don't know your context, but the Holy Spirit does. He's with you and he wants to help you through all of that. Uh, Chris Vallotton said this, 11 years ago, my soul crashed so hard from stress that I laid on my couch for six months depressed. Since then, I've learned to choose my battles, understand the capacity of my soul, and not let outside sources determine my inside priorities. I've learned that nobody has a plan for my life, and if I don't know God's call for me, I will spend my days trying to please people and never complete my divine assignment. I also figured out the hard way that the people I tried to please will never be happy with an unanointed man trying to fulfill someone else's divine mission. There's so much wisdom in that. I mean, it's just fantastic. And here's the thing. When it comes to God's call on your life, some of you are like, I want to know what that is. 
I tell you what, if you want to know what your ministry is, you've got to get to spend time with Jesus. It starts there with a devotional life. If you want a powerful ministry, it all stems from that. It all stems, all the fruit comes from abiding in the vine. All of it comes with remaining in Him. All of it comes from there. And God has got ministries, and I can see it at work all the time, and it's the richest possible life that you can live, but stay close to Him through all of this. The idolatry of living to other people's expectations. We need to crucify that stuff. Jesus, it's your way. And lastly, I just want to say this. As you start walking into this life, into this life where the burden, the yoke is easy and the burden is light, I know this has been challenging, but here's the thing. As you start living that, guys, enjoy the fruit. Enjoy the fruit. Like, oh man, it's like a feast. It's like a feast. Feast on the goodness of God. Feast on the beauty of His world. Feast on the many blessings of God. Feast on the inner joy and the love and the peace that is inside you that no one can take away no matter what you're going through. You feast on it. You feast on a pace that feels so good. You feast on knowing that Sabbath either has just happened and it was amazing or, oh my gosh, we've only got a couple of days to go and I get to do it again or whatever it may be. Like There's, just, we, there's so much joy in making those difficult decisions. It's an Easter narrative. I've preached about this before. There's some stuff that's got to die, but man, is the new life worth it. Man, is the new life worth, worth it. I don't know the complete, I, I land with this. I don't know the complexities of your life. Uh, and I, I'm not here to lay some law down, but because that's the heavy burden the Pharisees had laid down on people. Here's what you've got to do to please God. God loves you. You can live as you are until you see him face to face and he's accepted you because of the work that he's done on the cross. But in the short time that we have on earth, I don't want to just go through a soul that's getting crushed and diminished and suffering. I want to live life to the full that Jesus invites me into. And we can do that. We must arrange life so that sin no longer looks good to us. John Ortberg. We need to arrange our lives so that sin no longer looks good to us because we're feasting on the goodness of God. I don't know what it looks like for you to outwork this, but I'm here to paint a vision for you about what the Jesus life looks like. So hopefully you long for it. Hopefully you long for it and that you make every effort to enter into the rest of God, as it says in Hebrews. We're going to do that song next week, Andrew and Gemma. It's, um, um, yep, yep. I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. My sermon in a nutshell, well done. I, I'm annoyed at myself because I want to have lots of space for us to be able to pray for one another and I've completely prattled on again, so I'm sorry. But let's, um, let me just pray for, for folks and um, let me pray. And you know what, if, you, if, this, if this morning, I just felt as I was preparing for this morning that some of you guys are carrying some big burdens right now and you've been carrying them on your own. You've been carrying them on your own. And Jesus is standing here today saying, would you come and would you give me your burdens? Would you lay it down at the foot of the cross and just give it to me and just sit with me? And that requires humility, but that requires a heart of trust in his nature. But sometimes you've got nothing else, nothing left to lose. I might as well. And so I'm going to pray, but as, you, as I pray, if you want to sneak up the front and sit in this front row, which no one's sitting on, then why don't you do that? And we're just, a bunch of us would just love to pray and minister God's love to you and just help you lay that burden down.